Hey, this is Lee Snow, the preacher for the Warm Springs Road Church of Christ here in Columbus, Georgia. And you have found our podcast. We hope that this message inspires you, that it equips you, and that it builds your faith in Jesus Christ like never before. If you have any questions or you want to tell us your story, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out at any time. We are here for you. We're here for each other. Most importantly, we're here for the Lord. All right, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them up to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to start that chapter today. Galatians chapter 3. We've been working through the book of Galatians uh, for the last little bit. We're going to be there uh, save for the month of November, we'll be there for the rest of the year. Uh, we'll take a break in November and um, recognize a specific month for a specific reason. But nonetheless, we're in Galatians chapter 3, and so let's recap basically what we've been talking about for uh, the majority of this book, the reason why this book is written, and then we can go on to our passage for this morning. So, Galatia has this problem. Galatia is an area, not a specific church. It's different than the rest of the books. For instance, 1 Corinthians is written to the, the, the church at Corinth. It's on. Can you turn it up for me? Michael, can you turn this up for me? The church at Corinth gets a book written specifically to them. Ephesians, Ephesus gets a book specifically written to them. But Galatia is an area... We'd call it uh, modern-day Turkey-ish. It's, it's really the north part of Turkey, um, up near like the Caspian Sea, if you know where that is. Anyways, so this area is going through an issue that had already been discussed at this point in Jerusalem. We talked about that last week, the, the, the recounting of what happens in Jerusalem in G- Galatians chapter 2. But a few years later, this problem gets to Galatia. It's, it's kind of like what we see today as well. In the church, you'll see uh, an issue or a problem or something like that over here. And then a few years later, it might pop up over here and so forth. And that's basically what is happening um, in this area. So Paul writes to these churches and he says, in essence... You've got a big problem on your hands. And that big problem is what we dealt with down in Jerusalem and actually even in in Tarsus where he was uh, stationed uh, for those 14 years. So we dealt with this years ago and now this problem is popping up with you as well. And it's the problem of people in the body of Christ for one reason or another, I'm going to say because of the text of Galatians, I'm going to say that the reason why they're teaching this is not because, it's not because of theology as the foremost reason for their doing this, but it's really because of comfort. These Jews had grown up in the Old Testament, and, and they're used to Old Testament things. And so when the New Testament comes along and they obey the gospel and they become Christians, there's there's so much that's different now. It makes them uncomfortable. And then they start going back and they start looking at the problem, or not the problem, at, at the Old Testament. And they, and they start seeing things that, that have been done away in Christianity. But because, because it's not outright forbidden in Christianity, 
they think, well, maybe we could bring this back and it would make us feel more comfortable. But at the same time, it would, it would teach these Gentiles about the history that they're standing on. Because these Gentiles that are now Christians, they don't really know what it took to get us here. They don't know the history of our people. And so they start teaching specifically the idea that circumcision must be practiced in the church, in the New Testament religion of Jesus Christ, that circumcision must be brought over from the Old Testament. And they start making reasons for that and arguments for that from the Scriptures that are, that are unfounded. And so, so Paul writes the book of Galatians, and he says, this is a problem, not just because of circumcision, because the real problem is that you have people who are teaching Gospels based strictly on what makes them feel comfortable instead of the gospel that Jesus preached and Jesus taught and what we preached and what we taught. And so the problem is not necessarily circumcision as much as it is this idea that, that people are changing the, new, the good news of Jesus, the gospel. Gospel means good news. They're changing the good news of Jesus Christ into what makes them feel comfortable. And in chapter 1, he says that's a false gospel. And so he starts teaching against this and he's not necessarily teaching against, against circumcision at first. He's teaching against the real problem. The circumcision is just the, the symptom of the problem. It's just the one way that this problem has struck up in the New Testament church. And so we've looked over the last few weeks at, at similarities between what they were dealing with and what maybe we deal with, that people want things to be comfortable. They want it to, to make sense to them and how they've grown up and how they've been They've been taught and so forth, and so they end up changing the gospel into, we said, two different types. You have a, a religious false gospel that takes what God said and either goes farther to say that, yes, you have to, you have to obey the gospel and live a faithful life, but there's also these acts that you have to do that if you don't do it exactly this way, then, then not only have you forsaken God, but you've forsaken our entire history, like circumcision. Or you might have a religious false gospel that releases everything and says, well, I know that, I know that there are things in the New Testament that God specifically commands, but he may not be that worried with that. And then you have irreligious false gospels that say, doesn't really matter what God said, as long as you're a good person. So one says, you have to believe God, you have to follow God, but you also have to do this. One says, you have to believe God, and if you follow him, that's a good thing, but, but really and truly, as long as you believe these core principles, you're good. And then you have one that says, doesn't really matter if you believe God or not, as long as you're a good person. And those three types of false gospels the, the religious, they really fit into two, religious and irreligious. Those are still present today, even if no one is necessarily teaching that circumcision is bound under the New Testament law. So then we get to chapter two. And he talks about his story, and he tells the story of his conversion, and then Peter coming to where he was preaching for 14 years, and how Peter was having a problem with this, and Paul withstood him to the face, 
And they fixed this problem. They went down to Jerusalem. We looked at Acts 15 last week. They went down to Jerusalem. They, they realized what was going on. And so they, they wrote a letter to all the churches that they knew of and said, we didn't tell these people to come from Jerusalem and start teaching this. We're sorry. That's not true. We don't want you to follow anything except what Jesus Christ has taught you to follow. Now, chapter 3, he's going to start talking more specifically about the difference between the Old Law, the Old Testament, and the New Law, the New Testament. And in chapter 3, verse 1, he starts asking all of these rhetorical questions. Now, you have to keep in mind that, that of who is writing this book. It's Paul. Paul is one that was very specific in his personality. He, he wasn't like the rest of the apostles. I mean, I guess each of the apostles was different in their own right. John's a, a loving, caring man at the end of his age, the end of his life at the end of the New Testament writings in the book of Revelation. Peter seems to be the more outspoken one that, that sometimes puts his foot in his mouth. And Paul's the one that just shoots it straight and tells it like it is. And so chapter 3, verse 1, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? In ESV, it says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? But your translations might actually say, who has cast an evil spell on you? Knowing that that's not real. Paul understands that spells are not true. But he's saying, you're acting as if you are, you are somehow overcome by some magic. You're, you're foolish. In fact, some translations translate that word foolish as crazy. You crazy Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? And then he goes on to say, let me ask you a few questions. Was, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. And, and I like this. He says, let me ask you only this. Let me ask you one question. And then he ends up asking like 42 questions. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit... Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Why does he care so much about Abraham? Because Abraham was before Moses. And if circumcision is such a big deal, then why, why, why are you justified the same way as Abraham was if you have to be circumcised, Abraham was circumcised after it was counted to him for righteousness. And, and it wasn't until later on that it became a, a law of Moses because the law of Moses was after this. So he's, he's getting this picture in their heads of the timeline of God. And he says, you need to be justified just like Abraham. Okay? Now, specifically, we're going to deal with, with the verbs in this passage because I, I thought... It, it, it's about time we just go back and do a good old-fashioned word study. So we're going to look at the, the verbs in Galatians chapter 3. But before we do that, I want to ask you if you've ever seen these men. 
You may not have. It's okay. if you, you can go to heaven without ever knowing who any of these guys are. Okay? On the left is a guy named Ludwig von Beethoven. In the middle is Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. And on the right is Johann Sebastian Bach. These guys, you've probably heard these names before, before right? Beethoven, not the movie with the dog in it, but the, the composer, right? Sebastian Bach, the, the composer. Mozart, the composer. In fact, Mozart, a man who uh, began composing very, very young in his life. These men you've probably heard about. You may not have heard about these guys, though. On the left is Gustav Mahler. On the right is Antonio Vivaldi. And on the left is Johannes Brahms. These are my favorite composers. You may not have ever heard of them. They're not that famous. I mean, they're famous, but they're not as famous as people for people who aren't um, in the classical music genre. These six men are some of the most amazing composers that have ever lived. They put together pieces of music that a couple of them even not even being able to hear by the end of their lives, put together pieces of music that, that even if you don't like classical music, I mean, I know classical music is not, it's not the most popular type of music. Even if you don't like it, you listen to these men's compositions, these men's compositions, and, and, and you will feel something. They had the ability to take music and turn it into, into an emotion. Now, why do I mention these six guys who have nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ, other than the fact that they wrote some music here and there that, that was loosely based on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, because of this, this verse right here, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? We're going to drill down on the concept, the verbs in this passage, specifically based on this one verb in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 5. Does he who supplies, the word there supplies, it means, means provided, but it's an old, old, old Greek word. See, in the New Testament, it's written in Koine Greek. It's, it's regular Greek. It's the Greek that you would have heard at Walmart in the first century. They didn't have Walmart. Did you get the idea? It's the Greek that everyone spoke. This word is a really old word. This is, this is the these and thous of English to them. Okay? When you hear someone speaking in these and thous at Walmart, that may be a little odd, right? Well, if you heard someone use this word, it might be a little odd. But the reason why he uses it is because it's, it's a word. It's the word for a composer. Paul says, Paul says, does he who composes the gospel, does he who supplies the spirit? In fact, in fact, this is one, what one person said. Hang on, we'll get there in a minute. The verb means to furnish a chorus at one's own expense. Paul says, Paul says, does the one who furnishes everything that you need, the composer, the conductor, the one that, the one that in fact, one person, one commentator said that the, the verb form of this word would have been what you do. Have you ever seen someone leading a chorus or leading a, a, a symphony where they get a little into it, they get a little weird sometimes, and sometimes their head goes crazy, and, but you'll see them reach over and they'll, They'll bring this group up, and then they'll bring this group up, and then they, 
they bring everyone up, and you might see them doing motions like this, right? That's the word that he uses in Galatians 5. It's a, it's a composer, it's a conductor that's bringing grace upon grace, and he's bringing everyone up, and he's making this beautiful symphony, this beautiful chorus of the gospel. And he says, does the person that do that, the one, that, the one that's, that's in charge of everything, that's supplying everything that you need, the one, that, the one that's bringing you up and, and, and making this beautiful music with you, does he do that because of works of the Old Testament? Was he doing that in the Old Testament? Not the same way he was in the New Testament, right? In fact, he uses in Galatians 5, he says, did, did he do this, does he do this by works of the law? Or is he doing it by the miracles that are happening in the first century? Now, miracles aren't happening anymore today, but if you look at the picture of the first century church, that's a beautiful picture of what God is doing in the hearts and minds of men. He's, he's sending the Spirit, and he's working these miracles through the acts and hands of man, and he's bringing up grace upon grace. And, and this, this beautiful chorus is happening where thousands upon thousands of people are obeying the gospel every time the gospel is preached. He says that's, that's what God is doing in this, in this salvation. So let's look at a couple uh, passages that mention this. 2 Peter 1, uh, verse 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, they will be richly provided for you. That word provided is the same word. Richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10 uses the word again. He who supplies seed to the sower. So the word is, the word is used in every aspect of the New Testament life. Every aspect of the Christian life. Paul says, well let's just go in order. Peter says that he's going to do this. He's going to provide eternity in heaven. Step back in time. Paul says he's providing this chorus of salvation and he's, he's, he's organizing and preparing everything so that the works of the miracles can happen and people can obey the gospel. And they can be strengthened. They can be stronger in the gospel. Now, we don't have miracles today, but we have the same ability because the reason why the miracles were there was because we didn't have the Bible. And so when the Bible was completed, the miracles passed away and the New Testament was done. And so now we have the same ability that they had in the New, T New Testament times in the first century. We may not be able to see people raised from the dead, but we can read about it. And so that's, they're equal in God's eyes. Now, they may not be equal in our eyes, but that means that we need to change our view. Then you step back, and Peter says in 2 Peter, or, or sorry, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians, that he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. That if you need to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, remember the picture of the seed in the New Testament is, is the gospel being spread. He said, God is doing this chorus. He's working these, this, this action. He's being the choir director when people are obeying the gospel, when they're growing in their faith, and when they, when they get to eternity with God in heaven. He's, he's doing everything. He's making sure that everything 
is prepared. All right, now, let's go back to Galatians, um, Galatians chapter 3. I want to read to you a quote um, by a man named Timothy Keller. He said this, We will see as we progress through Galatians that our failure to obey and to conform to Christ's character is not a matter of simple lack of willpower. And so we cannot treat ourselves simply by trying harder. After all, resolving to try harder is resolving to rely on our own efforts to keep a law. We need to instead realize that the root of all our obedience is particular ways in which we, are, we continue to seek control of our lives through systems of what he calls works righteousness. What he means by all of this is what Galatians is trying to get across is that everything that the Christian does is passive. Our obedience to the gospel is passive. Our faithfulness and our service to God is passive because he is supplying everything that we need. We're not doing it because we're not coming up with the ways by ourselves. We're, we're only using what he is allowing us to use and giving us to use. And so what Paul is trying to get apart, across is, in the Old Testament, you were given a set of laws. If you didn't follow those laws, you met, you met serious, serious ramifications for those laws. Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus chapter 10, go and get fire from a different place than what God said, and the fire comes out of the altar and burns them alive. Sodom and Gomorrah take the physical aspect of life and they, they pervert it into something that God never intended, and so God destroys them. They had a set of laws that they had to follow, and if they didn't follow those laws, they met the ramifications of those laws. And what he's trying to get across is in the New Testament, yes, we have laws, Yes, we have things that we have to follow, but the reason we're following them has changed now. Now he's the one that's, that's the choir director. He's bringing us up and allowing us to fulfill those laws, and he's giving us the things that we need to fulfill those laws. He gives a seed to the sower. He gives miracles to the person that needs to, needs to be brought along in the gospel in the first century, New Te- or 21st century equivalent of that. He's given the word that, that gives us the, the power by means that we can, we can then grow and mature in our faith. And he gives us eternal life in heaven with him. And it's all because of, not because of our own doing. It's not because we're so great and we figured it out. It's because God is giving us the things and the tools that we need to do it. And if we, if we say that it's because we figured it out, that's what Ephesians says, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, we're not saved by works of merit. It's amazing to me that we've been going through Galatians, and I've had so many conversations with people over the last three weeks about this concept right here. In fact, a really good friend of mine from college who was adamantly opposed to the New Testament church when we were in college messaged me last week and said, listen, I need to apologize. I need you to explain to me how you view baptism. 
Because I think I had it wrong the entire time, and I want you to teach me what it means to be saved. And it all comes back to this concept. We're not obeying the gospel. We're not following Jesus Christ because we're good people, because we're better than everyone else, because we figured it out. Our faithfulness has nothing to do with us. In fact, a lot of times, it has everything to do with us sacrificing ourselves and, and submitting ourselves to the point that when things make us feel uncomfortable, we're willing to do that. There's everything to do with what God has given us. Now, I took some liberty for the last few minutes. I took some liberty and, and broke the rest of the verbs in Galatians chapter 3 into this same concept. So, bear with me on the, the, the concepts, but I think you'll see why as we go through. The next one is the sheet music. Every good composer composes music that, that people know how to do. I wanted to put a couple pictures of funny music up here, but I didn't know um, what, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to overshoot my audience as they tell you not to in public speaking classes. And I didn't know if anyone would get it. And so I didn't want to put up crazy music that's impossible to play. But every composer, these guys that we talked about at the beginning, they wrote music that was perfectly, perfectly in line with the rules of music. Perfectly in line with the way that the ear sounds and so forth. And that's what God has done. And through the verbs of Galatians 3, we're going to see that. Go back to Galatians chapter 3, verse number 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, I want to ask you a simple question. This, this verb portrayed, how many people in the churches in the area of Galatia were there when Jesus Christ was crucified? Chances are, not many, if any of them, Right? Abraham, verse number eight, he says this, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Those are two different things because the people in Galatia had had the gospel of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ portrayed, a word that means written in front of them. Abraham, on the other hand, well, we'll get to that in, in verse 8. But verse 1 first. This word means written out. None of these people, relatively speaking, there may have been one or two. But the gospel didn't get to the region of Galatia until Paul took it to the region of Galatia. So chances are none of the people that are reading this book were there when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. Just like none of us were there when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. And Paul says that it was... It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And my question is, how if they weren't there? It's what the composer wrote down. Now, the gospel accounts had not been written yet by the time that the book of Galatians is written. But something else happened to these people that, that is equal, in Paul's opinion, to the writings that would come later. 
Romans 15, 4, whatever things are written aforetime are written for our learning. That's the word, written, portrayed. He's using it in Romans 15 to talk about the Old Testament. But in Galatians, 1, Galatians 3, verse 1, he's talking about something that happened to them recently. How did they learn about the sacrifice of Jesus? He's already told it to them. Verse 8 of Galatians 1. If any person comes to you, whether an angel or us, and preaches any other gospel than that which we have preached to you. How was, how was the gospel, how was the, the sacrifice of Jesus portrayed in front of their eyes? Through the preaching that Paul was doing. God had provided the story, the sheet music as it were, the composer had provided the thing that was needed so that everyone would know what was being done. He had provided men. In, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, we hold the truth in earthen vessels. He's talking about himself. We're, we're just people, but we hold the truth of the gospel in us so that we can teach and preach other people. That word is a good picture of what preaching is supposed to do. It is supposed to, to put the sacrifice of Jesus on a billboard, as it were, in front of the eyes of the people that are hearing. Now, down in Galatians 3 and verse 8, he, um, he mentions something else. Let me fast forward there. I'm running out of time, so I'm trying to go as quickly as possible. Galatians 3 verse 8. I think that says 1 verse 8, but it's, it's 3 verse 8. I'm sorry. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Wait a second. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, this is the verse. It says this, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That wasn't written down for Abraham. That wasn't even preached to Abraham. That was God himself the Almighty speaking directly to a man named Abraham and saying, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham didn't read it. So why then did Paul just say in Galatians 3 that the scripture said it? Why, why did Abraham hear it from the words of God himself and yet Paul says that it was, it was written in scripture? Because they're the exact same thing. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is the breath of God. They're the exact same thing. So in Paul's opinion, the scriptures, the written down scriptures, were equal to the very words of God speaking audibly to a man, were equal to the words of a man speaking on behalf of God in the preaching. See that? They're all equal. In, in, in Paul's view, a man who's inspired, by the way, so if you have a question about his view, you need to take that up with him one day because I can't answer it. In Paul's view, the preaching of the gospel and the writing of the gospel and the miraculous in, inspiration of the gospel were all equal. And he says, he says, Galatians, let me ask you a question. Did you learn this? 
did you learn this by doing what the Old Testament did, or did you learn it by the, what God was doing in the New Testament? You learned salvation by God what was, what was God, by what God was doing in the New Testament. You didn't come up with this on your own. You didn't, you didn't even hear it from somebody. You came up with salvation. You understood the gospel and what it meant to be saved and how to be saved because God himself told you through the preaching and then for us through the writings, through the scriptures. All right? Number three, any, any good composer has um, the ability to write beautiful music and, and portray what needs to be said and God did that through the preaching and through the writing of, of the law. And then number three, every good composer uh, needs a bunch of musicians to do the work for him. And now here's a very simple question for you. How did it get to him? Who taught them the gospel? Well, Paul did. Who showed them the example? Well, Abraham did. Let's read Galatians 3, 2 through 9 again. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit of, by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Is he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Know then that those, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham... And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. They learned these things through a couple of ways. He, he talks about the preaching and the hearing with faith. The hearing with, with, with an acknowledgement that what they were hearing was true. He talks about, you learn this by suffering. Because sometimes God uses a negative to teach someone the gospel. How did Paul become so overcome with the fact that what he was doing was true? He was struck blind for three days, right? And then every time he tried to preach the gospel, somebody withstood him to the point that sometimes he was taken out. In fact, in the same area where he's writing these book, this book to in the cities of Lystra, Iconium, Derby, and so forth. In those cities, he was taken out back and stoned and left for dead because they thought that they had finished the job, right? And none, undoubtedly, other Christians were treated the same way. How were they so strong? Before all this garbage of these false gospels came in and people started trying to change the truth into what made them feel comfortable. Before all of that happened, how were the Galatians so strong in the faith? Because God had, God had the choir director had brought them up, had, had been using things to teach them and, and strengthen them. And you, you've heard me say the best thing that I believe, let me give you that caveat, the best thing that can ever happen to the church of Jesus Christ in America is for some politician to be elected and some serious persecution start. I, I honestly believe that that is the best thing that will ever happen to the church because God uses negatives 
get our attention. And a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians today, are just going through the motions, and it doesn't mean a single thing to them. And if the New Testament church disappeared, well, I guess I've got some free time on Sundays. God, the composer, had been supplying everything that they needed. He had been, he had been giving the law of Christ, the New Testament, the plan of salvation, He had been giving that through the preaching of the gospel. And then eventually he would give it through the writing of the gospel and the perpetuation of the gospel through the ability that... Now, listen, can you imagine what would happen if Paul came to 2019 and walked in our church building and saw all of us with our Bibles on our iPads and phones and Facebook and sharing Bible verses all the time and everything else? He would would look at you He would look at me and he'd say, how have you not converted the entire world now? Right? I converted millions of people on my feet walking from city to city. I have a feeling that Galatians 3 verse 1 and how strong that language is, you foolish Galatians. I have a feeling he'd say something a little stronger to us today. God has been using everything within his power to bring these Galatians to salvation. And he says, did that happen under the Old Testament? Of course it didn't. The the only thing that happened under the Old Testament was you were given a law. And if you didn't follow that law, you faced the ramifications of it. But the beauty is that in Christ, we have the ability to to be justified by our faith not an acknowledgement that something is real. Faith is, is, is one of these verbs. We have the ability to be justified by faith like Abraham was justified by faith because when God said, you need to do this, you need to leave your home, well, I don't, that doesn't make me feel very comfortable. Good. Here's the luggage. Abraham, you, you need to You need to just trust me that you're going to have a son. That's insane, God. You don't know what you're talking about. Abraham, I know I gave you a son. Um, You need to trust me. You need to sacrifice him. God, that doesn't make me feel very comfortable. Exactly. That's the point. When Abraham went to offer Isaac on the mountain, he was never going to be able to complete that act. God needed him to know that following him by faith meant that at times you were going to be uncomfortable. And it was going to be the hardest thing that has ever happened to you. And that's the point. That's why Paul mentions Abraham so much when he's talking about the old law. He says, you're missing the point. You're trying to go back to a law And God, the composer, is doing all of these wonderful, amazing, beautiful works and heaping grace upon grace on you. And you just keep wanting to go back to the checkbox. And what you're missing is the fact that, yes, you're going to have to feel uncomfortable at times. Yes, sometimes you're not going to understand what's going on. That's okay. As long as 
you take the true gospel of Jesus Christ, you learn what it says, and you apply it to your life. Not because you want to try harder, but because God has given it to you, and it is an act of submission to him. Now, if you need to become a Christian this morning, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you. Let me tell you this. You are saved the exact same way that the Galatians were saved. You are saved the exact same way that Abraham was saved. By what Galatians 3 says, hearing with faith. Hearing with faith is a term that means you're hearing it, you're trusting it, and because of what it says and the the abilities that he is heaping on you, you're doing it. Not because of your own doing, but because he's, he's laid it out in front of you. It, it's as if, have you ever, have you ever taken a, a steak and put it in your dog bowl? I did this the other night, except our dog had run away, so it didn't, it didn't really work. But we found the dog, it's okay. But have you ever taken a steak and put it in a dog bowl and the dog just kind of looks at it and doesn't eat it? Of course not, right? Did, did that dog... Deserve that steak? No. But it was given to him abundantly, and he just accepted it, right? But it didn't just pop into his stomach, right? It took some works of acceptance. And that's what you need to do in order to be saved. You need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. It's not something you're doing out of your own ability. It's something that is happening to you. It's something that is being done because of God's immense grace to you. And you're submitting to it. If you need to do that, we're going to stand. And Gary's going to lead us in a song of encouragement. And you can let us know while we do that.